Chris, if there is one thing about a league that should not be an absolute joke and an absolute disgrace, I feel like the Department of Player Safety is like a pretty good candidate for the thing that you should really have down. And unfortunately, the NHL's Department of Player Safety is an absolute joke and an absolute disgrace. The way that the NHL calls their games with their referees is awful too. The way the referees will describe what is or decide what is or isn't a penalty based on like game flow and wanting to keep things balanced. So that's a disgrace in its own right. But just for right now, I want to focus on the NHL Department of Player Safety. It's just so bad. I mean, there are plenty and plenty of examples of them not following their own precedent. You look at Dylan Larkin getting suspended a game earlier this season for sucker punching an opponent as revenge for what he felt was a dirty hit. Taylor Hall does the exact same thing, literally against Ilya Labushkin, only a $5,000 fine for the exact same incident. They don't even follow the precedents that they set. There's no punishment for dirty plays like Jay Beagle beating the ever-loving stuff out of Troy Terry as an unwilling participant in that fight. Uh, this is a professional organization. This is the National Hockey League, and the way that they treat their own players is a disgrace. It's a punchline. And this is such an important time for the NHL, too. They just signed that brand new American TV rights deal with TNT. They got Wayne Gretzky on the panel. And this should be a great time for the NHL where they can reach all these new fans by doing the things that people want to see, like promoting their young superstars, skilled players, fast hockey, great hands, light the lamp, pop the water bottle, all that stuff. Not Jay Beagle beating the crap out of a 32-game scorer because of some dumb unwritten code that Jay Beagle ended up breaking by fighting an unwilling opponent, and then the Department of Player Safety does nothing about it. NHL, protect your stars, promote skill, take the Neanderthal nonsense out of the game, and rework your Department of Player Safety from top to bottom, because what you have right now is an absolute disgrace. Speaking of Neanderthal nonsense, it's time for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome to High Floor, Low Ceiling the sports podcast you are listening to now. Did I say that already once? Yeah, I think you sort of, de- we decided that that was going to That's be our soft little... tagline. Yeah. Well, welcome everyone to the show. Uh, Griffin, we are back. Took a week off last week for no reason other than just the vibe. Yeah. How, how are, you, are you feeling rested? <laughs> are you feeling rejuvenated? I'm feeling so rejuvenated. Nothing takes more out of me in a week than <laughs> getting together <laughs> to do high floor, low hey, ceiling. Hey, wait a second. Huh? Uh, a lot going on all of a sudden uh, as we drop into our intangible segment. I mean, Griffin, we weren't able to give our immediate reactions to the Academy Awards, uh, no. which we will be discussing, I think, in greater depth later in the program. So there's a little tease for you. Uh, but Griffin, what did you think of the show? There was one, uh, shall we say, event that caused a stir on social media, I might argue. Yeah, are you talking about the Flash winning like best <laughs> moment in cinema history? <laughs> yes, the Flash entering the Speed Force was a major moment for an um, HBO Max miniseries. It wasn't even a movie; it's four episodes. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's all a matter of debate, I suppose. Anyway. But Griffin, you know, obviously there was uh, the Will Smith incident. Certainly took up uh, a lot of the conversation. 
I know you were watching live, Griffin. I saw some tweets from you. What did you think of the show apart from that? Yeah, well, I'm glad we're uh, here fresh on the Will Smith, Chris Rock <laughs> yeah. scene. I don't think many people have gotten their takes out there yet, so I'm glad we could get out there first. No, the rest of the show was pretty boring, honestly. Like, uh, I think the Oscars could really use a big revitalization. Like, one thing I saw just coincidentally today, I was on YouTube, and Heath Ledger winning the Oscar in 2009 popped up. And mm-hmm. what they did that year, apparently, maybe it was like the 80th Oscars or something, I don't know, is that for... the I only watched Best Supporting Actor, but they had five other people who had one supporting actor came out and each one introduced a nominee with like a little 30-second spiel about their performance. They had like Alan Alda and Christopher Walken and uh, Joel Grey and a couple other guys. So that was really cool. So bring back stuff like that. Celebrate the movies. Get the legends up there. And not just like for the 28th anniversary of Pulp Fiction, which was a weird thing that they did. Why the 28th anniversary? Who who cares? <laughs> Come on. It's 20, uh, you know, famously the 28th anniversary is the milkshake anniversary. Oh, the milkshake so anniversary. There. Of course. How could I miss that? Um, well, yeah. But aside from that, yeah. Uh, Will Smith, cra- crazy move. Crazy decision-making process. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, way to ruin I feel, the night that you've been working for for thirty years. It's so true. Um, yeah, I feel like there's isn't really like a new take to be had on <laughs> no, that. There is not. Like, and so I have fully just referred to like, yeah, it's crazy that happened. It literally, <laughs> it's crazy that that happened. It's crazy. <laughs> we get used to stuff like so fast. I feel like as people, like we've already just accepted that that happened. But if you sit back and actually think about the fact that that happened, that's insane. It's. It's great. I mean, again, we're not turning new ground here, I must say. But it's crazy that it happened, but it's a thousand times crazier that the person who did the thing was the person who won Best Actor. Yes. Yes. And I guess, like, I guess you'd have to be because you're sitting, you have to be sitting that close. But Can you imagine if he was in the back row, he just like comes charging all the way down. No, he wasn't even charging. He was, like, walking slowly. Poor he was Chris striding. Rock never saw it coming. He thought he was coming up to do, like, a bit. Um, but speaking of... Shout out to Chris Rock, though. Real pro. Sure. Love Could not Chris have handled Rock. that better. Gotta watch anyway. Spiral. Uh, speaking of major events over weekends, Griffin, not... The, you know, the Oscars were two weekends ago, but last weekend, you were somewhere special, and I think, you know, if people follow you on Twitter, they saw it as well, but... Why don't you tell the people what you were up to up in Kingston Town? Oh, yes. Somewhere very special. A big shout out to <laughs> the Kingstown, as we call it here. No, I went to uh, Kingston for the weekend to cover the U Sports, uh, which for those of you who do not know is Canada's university sports, our version of the NCAA, uh, the National Basketball Championships for the women's side. It was a great tournament. Big shout out to the Rams women's basketball team. They play mm-hmm. for a school here in downtown Toronto. Uh, they finished a perfect season with a national championship, so a big shout-out to them. It was a lot of fun. I uh, wanted to give a big thank you to everyone on Twitter who followed along. I appreciated that. I did want to say uh, the tournament was broadcast by a a well a public broadcaster here in Canada. <laughs> that um, shall remain nameless. Yes, shall remain nameless. And they also covered the men's tournament, and unsurprisingly but still disappointingly, the difference in... I think just straight up money that went into the coverage of the men's and women's tournament was very noticeable. Uh, There were no commentators on site for the women's tournament. There were three commentators on site for the men's tournament, two 
like play-by-play guys and a sideline reporter. The women's tournament had none of that. They had like one of those fancy like 4K sideline cameras for the men's tournament. They had a bunch of like handheld camcorders on tripods for the women's tournament. Just in general, it was very disappointing, and the women's tournament was fantastic basketball. Both of the semifinals mm-hmm. came down to the last possession. One of them went to overtime. The other one was settled in the last half a second. The uh, final was a bit underwhelming. The Rams were pretty good at that point, but the host team went on this crazy Cinderella run. I uh, saw Shout this. out to the Queen's Gales, and the crowd was amazing, and I don't think enough people got to experience it properly, especially U-Sports doesn't get a ton of ratings, so... If you are going to see people tune in and then they see this amateur product mm-hmm. on their screen, they're not going to want to tune in the next time. So uh, it, it was humiliating for that public broadcaster, which I think normally holds itself to a very high standard. Mm-hmm. Like they're not some amateur rinky-dink operation. They are normally very good at this kind of stuff. So I was surprised a little to see it and very disappointed. And I like they put in the they bid for the rights. They wanted this product and they didn't act like it. So I certainly hope there was a lot of blowback on Twitter, including from coaches and alumni and stuff like that. So I hope that they sort of hear this wake-up call and get their act together because it wasn't acceptable. Wow, a second rant from Griffin within the broadcast. I'm double dipping. <laughs> uh, well, yes, congratulations to the Rams. My Yes, uh, oh, I forgot. Oh. I totally forgot. You are a Ram. <laughs> yeah, I and I was on the basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> I was the backup power forward. Mm. I had a nice outside shot. You got the height uh, for it. Sure, precisely. Um, Griffin, another big thing happening today, as of the day that we are recording this, MLB opening day. How exciting! Uh, we've all been. I think you know we've been gearing up for the season. It's been it's been exciting knowing yes. that baseball is back, baby. Didn't uh, seem and, like yeah, we would get here for a while. Yeah, it feels it feels quick because we had the lockout for so long. And so now it was sort of like the free agent frenzy happened quite close together with opening day. And so now we're already here. Um, I will say we'll probably get more into baseball as the season goes on, certainly. But the Blue Jays, Griffin, are getting a lot of buzz. I like think a getting, lot of buzz. Yeah, too much buzz. Like people because, on like <laughs> American networks are like picking them to win the World Series. Most power rankings I've read for the season have them second. And to me this is bad. Like this the the teams that are ranked <laughs> top at the start of the year, they never win the World Series. So like the Blue Jays, I'm, I would be much happier if they were ranked like fifth. I'm glad you're saying this. I feel the exact same way. I hate the high expectations. You know, we talked about them what, a, probably a month or two ago, and we were saying basically, like, yeah, this is a really solid team. This, like, they don't have a lot of holes in their lineup, but I think that's what a lot of people are seeing is there's some really good, like, high points. Like, you know, they have three, four star players, and then not a lot of weaknesses, I think, is where they're at right now. Although, bullpen is always going to be a question mark with pretty much any team, I think. Yeah, I think they've got enough solid guys down there, though. But yeah, maybe uh, in a couple weeks we'll get into a full sort of Blue Jay segment. But right now, Chris, this is intangibles. Mm-hmm. So I just thought for the uh, the first day of the season, I be- the first game of the season is happening right now. I believe the Milwaukee Brewers are hosting the Chicago Cubs. Wow. Whenever I see whenever I say any sports name out loud nowadays, I just got quickly check myself that it's nothing racist. Like as I'm saying <laughs> it, I'm like Brewers Cubs. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
especially uh-huh. teams that I don't talk about as often. I'm like, are these both fine? Yeah, these are fine. Um, yes. A live update for our listeners, since everyone's listening live. Yes. Uh, Milwaukee up 1-0 in the bottom of the fifth. Okay, that actually plays well into my prediction um, <laughs> that we're about <laughs> to give. Uh, yeah, I just thought we could quickly run down our picks for the six division winners. Chris, we'll come back to this in September. Um, but yeah, and I guess we'll start with uh, always the top of the standings page. When you go to the standings page, the American mm-hmm. League East. Mm-hmm. A highly tightly contested division, I yeah. will say. Um, I imagine that much like last year, there will be four teams uh, in playoff contention. I I will say, Griffin, although I did not pick them to win the division, doesn't this really feel like a Boston World Series year mm, in like, an annoying like a, way? Surprising playoff run last year. They just like somehow and it's like take not a ton step. of expectations. There are kind of other teams in the division that are being talked about before them. They had the big signing at Trevor Story. It's been four years since they won a World Series. Yeah. They have to win it again. It's <laughs> concerning. That's what it I will is. say. Yeah, and the Jays are being ranked like the best team in baseball, so that factors in. Yeah, but you, Griffin. I so I did have the Blue Jays. I'm I am a believer in the Jays. I think. The other teams, you know, Boston, I think, probably got better, but the Yankees sort of seem to be treading water. Tampa does sort of seem to be treading water to me. And so I feel comfortable saying that the Blue Jays do have a real shot at the division here, but you had a a pick that did surprise me a little. Yeah, I went with the Tampa Bay Rays. The Yankees and Red Sox, I feel like, are sort of fighting for this, like, like that second tier in the division. I think it'll be the Rays and Blue Jays battling for the World Series, or for the AL East title. Uh, but the Rays are just always so good. They always find a way uh, to get out there. They were so good last year. And the Blue Jays last year won 91 games. Like, they had a really great season, and they finished fourth. Mm-hmm. Like, this team, and I do think the Blue Jays are better this year than they were last year. I think the rotation's fantastic. I think most of the guys in the lineup will improve, but, like, not all of them will improve. Some guys mm-hmm. in the lineup will take a step back, whether it's Teoscar Hernandez or... Laura Descuriel Jr. You just hope if you're the Blue Jays, it's not Vlad or Bo. But, I mean, as much as I would love to see everyone in the lineup get better and the Blue Jays go win 100 games, I just I think that they'll end up second in the division, and we've got the expanded playoff now, and I think they'll go on a good playoff run, but I just think the Rays are so good uh, they're going to win the division. Yeah, there and there are, you know, I think we have talked about this a little bit, but there are reasons to like the Blue Jays to like take a bit of a step forward. They... Their stars are really quite young still. They didn't get that much out of George Springer last year. Their pitching rotation is certainly much more solidified now yes. than it was at this time last year, especially. Um, so they're they're you know I think you're right that it's maybe unrealistic to expect all those players to have as good seasons as they had last year. You know, obviously I don't think Matt Chapman is going to have like a Marcus Semien type year. Uh, and I think people do underrate his season a lot when they talk about how good the Jays were last year. But mm-hmm. that will be an interesting one. This is intangible, so we need to be going quicker. Yeah. <laughs> All but, right. You know, we can't resist our Blue Jays talk. Yeah. Well, just quickly, uh, we did agree in the American League Central. We both have mm-hmm. the White Sox winning that. Uh, super talented team. Super fun. They are going to be without Lance Lynn for a couple seasons. They lost Carlos Rondon. So the pitching might take a step back, but the lineup's so good. Uh, is Tony and a very weak division still their manager? I believe he is. All right. Well, in spite the of that, one they call him. In spite of that, they're winning the division again. 
the American League West. You went with the safe pick of the Houston mm-hmm. Astros. Mm-hmm. A great team, a great pick, but uh, I'm going with the Los Angeles Angels. They have to at least <laughs> one, right? Now they've I... got Otani. They've got Trout coming back healthy. They've got hopefully Anthony Rendon coming back healthy. I think a lot of people have brushed him off after he got hurt mm-hmm. for most of last year. He's a great, great player. And, like, they got Noah Syndergaard. Hopefully he can be healthy. A lot of it relies on health with with those four guys that I just named. But, like, come on. I, Sooner or I, later, right? <laughs> and the Astros I, lost Correa. The A's are – they have a payroll of, like, $11. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mariners did, will be good. Sorry. Yeah. You're trying to talk, like, four times in a row. No, no, no. And, uh, you know, we can't forget the Rangers either. They made a ton oh, of yeah, they got Seager this offseason. I mean, it's going to be a good division. I think so as well. I, I did, I thought a lot about picking the Angels, and for that exact reason, it's like, well, like, come on. But it's also, <laughs> we do do this every year with the Angels. That's very and true. And they never perform to expectations, I feel like. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to see with them. I am I'm, I would like them to be good. I would be happy if they were good. Um, an interesting one here, Griffin, the NL East. We have both picked the same team, and I think it might be a bit of a surprise to people. I don't know what the betting odds are like, but we have both chosen the Philadelphia Phillies as the division winner in the NL East over, you know, the Mets, obviously, have, have a lot of buzz about them. Uh, Jacob deGrom with an injury, speaking of people who can't get healthy. You know, the Braves are still in existence. Defending Miami seems World to be Series taking Champions some steps forward, Braves. you know. So I think that this will be a tight race, but we both have the Phillies. What was your uh, thought process here? Uh, I really like Bryce Harper, first of all. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Bryce guy, um, the reigning MVP. I think that the F- Braves are due for a bit of a come down. Like, they got hot in the playoffs, and Matt Olson's a great Freddie Freeman replacement, but I just think in general that team sort of overperformed last year, and hopefully mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna gets back and is the same great player. So I still think they'll be good, but I really like the Nick Castellanos pickup for the uh, Phillies. I like their 1-2 ace punch of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Uh, the Mets, I don't know, they Mets it. They Mets it up. I'm not really worried about the Mets. Hopefully DeGrom gets healthy, though. You want everyone to be healthy, but I just think that It'll be the Phillies and Braves, and I think the Braves are sort of due for a bit of a hangover. Yeah, it does feel like a division where you're kind of picking, and maybe I shouldn't pick the Phillies, this is my logic, but you're kind of picking which team you think will fail the least. And so maybe I should pick the Braves if that's <laughs> the case, because Philly, I think you know their bullpen was a disaster last year, and I think the year before as well. Mets, like you said, Mets going to Mets, and so... There's not a lot of reliable options in that division, I will say. Very true. Um, another division, which has, I'd say, two reliable options, is the National League Central. And those are the Milwaukee Brewers, the famously leading Milwaukee Brewers. Let's double-check the score here. Yeah, please still be up. Please oh, still be up. The Chicago Cubs are up 3-1. No! <laughs> I'm changing my prediction. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Milwaukee Brewers... Uh, with a record of 0-1, as it seems to be heading towards. God. And How the St. Louis Cardinals. You have picked the Brewers here. I have picked the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals, you know, they. it's hard because they are another team that is a little shaky. They're, they rely on a lot of old guys. They're having to, you know, Yadier Molina is not an easy player to uh, replicate the production of. But I just think that they have a lot of solid guys. Like, I like their lineup. The Cardinals are a classic, you know, we, we said when we started this, what we were picking based off of vibes, 
And I feel like the Cardinals are always a good vibes team. Yeah, you got the poo holes coming back. They're a good vibe. That's a good vibe right there. And um, yeah, I just think, yeah, the Cardinals are historically a very successful franchise. They do very well. Um, but I just, I really like the Brewers. They've got that one two punch of uh, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. I like one two punches in a rotation. I was going to say, you love a one two punch. Um, I think Christian Yelich is due for a bounce back year. Uh, I like the Brewers, and I'm picking them, and I don't have to justify it to you or anyone, Chris. <laughs> okay. I'm just pointing out that they are looking like they're going to be 0-1. Well, so that's kind of putting yourself there. in a hole early, I will say. Um, <laughs> I'm and picking then the, the last... Cubs. <laughs> sure. Uh, the NL West, we both have the Dodgers. Not very interesting pick by us, but what can no. you do? It's the Dodgers. And I, we're all bored of the Dodgers, but we'll all keep picking them until they do something crazy. Yeah. And Chris, just before we move on to our main segment here, there was one more mm-hmm. thing I wanted to run by you. I was driving home mm-hmm. from the dentist last night. I was listening to uh, Sports Talk Radio, as I like to do. Griffin and they the mentioned dentist. on this Sports Talk Radio program that I did not tune in early enough to catch the name of, so I don't know who was talking. But it, the Atlanta Braves, this year at their ballpark, are selling a hamburger for $151. Uh now, this hamburger contains a half pound of Wagyu beef burger topped with cage-free pan-fried eggs, gold leaf wrapped Hudson Valley foie gras. I feel like that's probably a lot of that $151 comes in the gold leaf. Uh, grilled, cook, grilled cold water lobster tail. That's probably also pretty pricey. An heirloom tomato, bib lettuce, Tillamook cheddar cheese, and truffle aioli on a toasted Irish buttered brioche bun. All purchases come with Parmesan waffle fries, and maybe this is also a bit of that $151, a replica 2021 World Series ring. Now, uh, Chris, first of all, how do you feel about just like this sort of novelty ballpark food in general? It seems like it's really becoming popular the last few years. I do enjoy... I'm of two minds, because... I think it's great to have like an extravagant option. I think it's great to like sort of really go for it with something, but this does feel a little bit like you're just hitting all the buzzwords and not really putting much <laughs> thought into what you're making. Right. Cause it's like the Wagyu beef. That's a classic, like buzzy rich people yeah. food thing. The gold leaf wrap is a classic rich people food thing. Foie gras, classic lobster tail, classic. Uh, truffles, another classic drive up the price kind of food. And so I feel like, you know, I, I love an egg on a burger. I think that's a great choice by them. But I was gonna say, that feels speaking, a little weird, like on this burger, though. You've got beef, lobster, and foie gras but, on there they, already. They're, and it's all on the burger. I don't understand. Like, yeah, it seems like a massive burger. Like, lo- especially lobster tail. I think that's the main problem. If it was that's a, weird. If it was like a beef burger, and although using Wagyu in a burger seems like a mistake to me, but if you have the you know, the beef burger, you top it with fried eggs and foie gras, that sounds really good, like really rich umami flavor coming through there. You have the Tillamook cheddar, you have the truffle aioli, I love a brioche bun, like that all sounds great. I guess it's really the lobster tail that throws me off there. Yeah, um, when I, w- I went to... A Philadelphia Phillies game with a friend of mine a few years ago. We were in Philadelphia for the Overwatch League Grand Finals, so we got to, oh. we went to a Phillies game the same weekend. It was a lot of fun. And when I was there, I got a uh, a Phillies ballpark special. I got a donut burger, 
which Ooh. as you might expect is a hamburger except instead of buns it comes between two donuts chris it was one of the only meals in my entire life that i was like literally physically incapable of finishing not because it wasn't good <laughs> it was very good but it was so rich and yeah. so sweet and filling that i literally could not finish the donut burger so yeah shout maybe out to it Philly. should be maybe it should be a timbit slider yeah there we go <laughs> But Chris, just before we move on here, uh, I was, I wanted to get you to uh, craft a similar style burger. I assumed that of that $151, the replica World Series ring would give about $50 of that. Sure. So I am offering you a $100 hamburger. Chris, what do I have to put on this burger to justify to you paying $100 for it? That's a great question. I'm just going to Google most expensive food very quickly and see if there's something. <laughs> I think you're going like, to have to have gold leaf wrapped something. I guess so. But like, you know, if if I'm having something that expensive, I do feel like I would rather go for like a steak sandwich than I would a burger. Because I feel like it just feels like a waste to have like the wagyu beef like you know it's sort of famous for like that like marbling it's very rich and things like that and then yeah, you're just grinding grind that up yeah chuck like it just seems like a waste so i i'd say maybe a steak sandwich and i like i said i like a lot of the things that they're going for here i think foie gras on top sounds great um you know i think the truffle aioli sounds great i love an aioli so yeah probably that with like some expensive cheese, something like that. Oh yeah. I'm. I'm not. It would be very hard to get me to pay a hundred dollars for a <laughs> burger, but maybe if it's a steak sandwich, we could get like some really expensive mushrooms on there. I was you about to say, yeah, person? some really nice mushrooms. Yeah. So I think that is maybe. Uh, that's the well, direction we're, we're, we're building go in for that here. direction. Yeah, yeah certainly. <laughs> um, but Griffin, we've spent plenty of time on burgers. Let's get to our first segment, and it's <laughs> talking about a team that has been eliminated from playoff contention uh and it's a team that wait what's that sound griffin oh, oh do you do you feel that Ooh. oh a cold wind just blew it's kind of chilly you close in here. the freezer chris well you know no what? griffin we have to open the freezer because we are taking out a certain a bunch of frozen chickens you might say oh and defrosting the los angeles lakers oh griffin what a disastrous season Quick, for the Los Angeles Lakers. close the freezer before the Jazz get out. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, the, the Jazz were tr- trying to claw their way out with all this Rudy Gobert stuff recently. True. Uh, but yeah, Griffin, one of people, you know, people are already talking about this as the most disappointing season by any team ever. And I <laughs> don't feel like it's unjustified. I was sort of thinking about this, you know, versus the famous 2013 team. The uh, you know the Mike Brown into Mike D'Antoni year, the Dwight yeah. Howard, Steve Nash. This is gonna be fun year. Oh, so sad. That season, you know, they they were in the playoffs. <laughs> I will say that they <laughs> won like forty seven games. <laughs> and like a seven seed, I think. Yeah, I think if there's anything that would be in the favor of that team being more disappointing is you have Kobe tearing his Achilles in that year, which functionally ended his career in terms of like meaningful trying to compete for a championship kind of aspirations and so you know if you want to lump sort of the the loss of kobe into that season then that might be more disappointing but i mean yeah i did always think think of a worse season for them here 
Yeah, people were always saying, like, let's just fast forward to the finals, like the Lakers are cruising through the West. I did always think that was a bit of an exaggeration. There's the famous mm-hmm. Kendrick Perkins prediction that they might win 70 games, which I thought was always crazy. But, yeah, certainly never saw this coming. And it's still, it still doesn't make sense. How did this happen? Like, it... I get that Anthony Davis was injured a lot, but you had literally one of the best seasons of LeBron James' career, which Mm -hmm. is saying a lot. Yeah. And the rest of the team was so unbelievably bad that they couldn't even be a 10 seed. A a phrase that did not even exist like two years ago, (laughs) the 10 seed. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their... I'm just looking at their page, and it's really sad, the players that they were trying to... Their depth... They decimated their depth to get Russell Westbrook in short, and Russell Westbrook was terrible. He was... Maybe negative uh, value. Yeah, I'm looking at his VORP, his value over replacement player on basketball reference. He, I think I talked about this earlier because I was sort of keeping tabs on it, seeing if it would get to zero, oh. and he is a 0.2 value over replacement for the year. So he's basically about as good as a player that you could pick up off of you know the waiver wire. And they're basically paying him a waiver wire level salary, so that makes sense. <laughs> they're basically um. paying him the salary of the entire waiver wire, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, you know, players like Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, Dwight Howard, they weren't terrible. There is a cat meowing, I will say, in the background, so if anyone yeah. is hearing that, do not adjust your podcast. No, yeah, I am cat-sitting. Apologies, folks. Uh, Betty, right now, I think, is trying to claim that Russell Westbrook deserved that contract. Wow, crazy. And I'll bet she thinks she deserves the 2017 MVP, too. Um, but yeah, like guys like that, like they weren't bad, but if those are like your third, fourth, fifth guys behind LeBron and Anthony Davis, who, again, did miss a significant amount of time, LeBron missed you know, 15 yeah. games or 25 games, uh, that's not insignificant either. Yeah, didn't even but qualify yeah. for the scoring title in the end, I think. I think he has. he's out tonight, so he'll have to play the last two games in mm. order to qualify. So still in play. But yeah, I mean, we, we knew that this might happen because they gave up so much depth to get Westbrook. But I, you know, I think I had them as like the three seed. And my logic was always like, well, Westbrook... He can do the same thing he did in Houston, the same thing he did in Washington, where he's not an amazing player, but he eats a lot of minutes. He can lead like a bench unit. He can lead a team that has injured players on it. You know, if you know if Anthony yeah, Davis can, and LeBron are out, you can trust him at least. Even yeah, if he's not going to be the superstar he once was. Yeah, he can keep the wheels on while those guys rest or out with injury or whatever. And that was just not the case. He seems to be. I mean, I don't want to say washed up, but. It's hard to imagine him coming back and having a really good season next year. Yeah, I think we're at the point with Russell Westbrook where he has to prove that he's a, I don't want to say a legitimate NBA player again, but he has to yeah. prove that he deserves to be talked about as a like good piece on a championship team again. He no longer has that status by default. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we'll get into the segment that we wanted to talk about, which is just sort of some possible moves they can make. But I was trying to craft Griffin some Russell Westbrook trades last night. And I think we say this every year, and the worst contracts in the league always get traded. Westbrook (laughs) himself has been the recipient of that several times. You know, people talked about Chris Paul's contract being untradeable, and then that turned into a bargain almost. I think it might be impossible to trade Russell Westbrook. And I'll give you the quick rundown. So basically the option you're looking at, I don't think any competing team wants him. I can't imagine that a team would look at this season for the Lakers and be like, that's what we need. 
And yet, I'm not sure about you, Chris, but there w- mm-hmm. I saw a report from Mark Stein this morning that said this offseason, the Charlotte Hornets, who are, like, not a not-competing team. Yeah, they're in the plan. Are sort of inter- are interested in Russell Westbrook. So, anyway, I will let you finish. Because I do but, agree with you, if I was emperor of the NBA, I would not place him on a competing team. But please. Yeah, I mean, Gordon Hayward, that's one of the worst contracts in the NBA got two years left just over 60 million dollars you can say terry rosier's overpaid but he really has you know sort of come into his own and i think you know for 20 million dollars that seems to be around the going rate for a solid to above average starter in the nba and i think he is sort of in that area at least and so i guess if you wanted to flip both those guys for westbrook you could but i just don't see why you would want to do that and <sighs> and so the so the thing with the Lakers is, and with what Westbrook is, they don't have that much to give up along with him because that's usually how you dump a bad contract, right? Is yeah. you give up a young guy or two, you give up multiple first rounders just to dump the contract off your books. But they don't have that. The best they can offer is like Kendrick Nunn, Talon Horton Tucker, one first round pick, I think is all they will be able to trade. And so what, you know, if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, for example, you have better things, surely, that you can use 40 million in cap space for than absorbing a giant contract and getting Talon Horton Tucker and a first round pick. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It doesn't make any sense for any team who wants to be good to want Russell Westbrook. If you're a team that's trying to get to the salary floor, then sure get the Lakers to give you a bunch of right. assets as well. But um, but then it's like that, but then there's only so much that they can give and you're better off dealing with a team that has another bad contract, like getting like a Julius Randle. Um, so I'll just run down a, a few quick ones. If you're the Knicks Griffin, you don't trade Julius Randle for Russell Westbrook in a first round pick, right? No, I do not. I, are the Knicks trying to trade Julius Randle? I think they would be interested in getting rid of him he has had a very bad year they are obviously out of the playoff picture this year um and i think he has i think three more years on his contract after this sorry excuse me four more years on his contract he signed an extension in the off season uh last year so he has four more years in uh, increasing from 24 million to 30 million dollars so but if i'm the lakers i'm taking that and running to the hills so no i'm not doing that if i'm the knicks right i don't think so either and so I don't. If you're the Wizards, do you swap Kristaps Porzingis for Russell Westbrook in a first and have the Russell Westbrook homecoming? Uh, I mean, it's like you could you traded Russell Westbrook, got a bunch of really nice depth pieces for him, and then you could just also just get Russell Westbrook again. Mm-hmm. So that one, I mean, unless they see something in Porzingis, that one I could see doing. But like, yeah, even if the deal sort of makes sense in a vacuum, it's still sort of like, why, why do it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, it's like maybe that first becomes valuable, but it seems like a crapshoot at this point. Um, and then, you know, there's the Russell Westbrook for John Wall swap, which <laughs> I don't think makes any sense for anyone. <laughs> no, no one wants that. It's functionally the same thing. So with that in mind, Griffin, I think the big things to look at are the Anthony Davis and LeBron James trades. And I know it's hard to think that LeBron James could be traded from the Lakers, but I do think it's a very real possibility in the offseason because what else are they going to do, especially if they can't trade Westbrook? Like, do you do you think that all three of them will be on the team next year? It seems impossible, right? It really does seem impossible. How the heck could you look at what happened this year and then say, all right, let's try that again? 
I mean, there is the theory that could it possibly be worse? Probably not. But, uh, yeah, like, yeah, you have to free up some money for something. And the only way to do that is moving one of these three guys that, like, the rest of your team didn't make any money. Yeah. Um, and you have LeBron James essentially on an expiring contract. So that factors in as well. Um, and then Anthony Davis, I think, has three more years. Let me just double check that. But, yeah, they're they're in a bad way and so i think that they have about two guys on the team yeah they have two guys on the team who has about who have value so why not trade them so i will give you a few mock trades that i have devised griffin and you can tell me from uh maybe i'll take the Lakers side and you can take the side of the receiving team and we can talk through some of these trades so i went for teams that were mostly the the one piece away teams the p the teams who probably won't be competing in the uh in the finals this year with one exception uh but you know might say hey if we get anthony davis or lebron james then we're a competitor so the first trade i have for you griffin the atlanta hawks trading john collins danilo gallinari and some number of first round picks for anthony davis and austin reeves what do you think about this one if i'm the hawks i would love this deal i mean john collins has sort of there have been rumblings there. Danilo Gallinari's been a piece for them, but Anthony Davis and Trey Young together would be spectacular. I'm not super sure about the Clint Capella fit, but I mean, Anthony Davis there as a defensive anchor, uh, I would love that for the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I think it turns them into a really strong defensive team. Like you have Capella, who is like a very solid conventional center, and everything we've heard for years and years now is Anthony Davis doesn't like playing center. So that does, you know, put them in a positive situation. And then, you know, if you're starting a front court of DeAndre Hunter, Anthony Davis, and Clint Capella, that sounds pretty tough defensively. Yeah, yeah, uh, that sounds very tough defensively. So, <laughs> And this was a team that is a bottom five defensive team this year. So that, that could be a nice move for them. I mean, for the Lakers, I, I think this might be my favorite of the Anthony Davis trades. You're getting a good young player who can approximate what davis is giving you offensively gallinari's an expiring contract and gives you some depth i mean i think i think that's still a playoff team in the neighborhood maybe right with uh with lebron and john collins and i guess westbrook in there yeah i I like collins a lot uh yeah i think that's probably a playoff team get a little depth scoring in gallinari yeah exactly because they that that isn't real need for them um this one from the memphis grizzlies currently the two seed uh, so they might be a team that's looking to sort of find that that missing piece. I've got Steven Adams, Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams, the rookie, and you know one or more future firsts for Anthony Davis. And I don't think the Lakers love this. <laughs> Obviously, they're not getting a lot of great you know prospects or players back. But you're getting picks back. You're getting death pieces back, which you can hypothetically flip into other uh, into other players. Zaire Williams is, you know, I don't think he's even played for them this season. I think he's had injuries and things like that. So he's a bit of an unknown quantity. But then I really like it for Memphis because I think pairing Anthony Davis and Jaron Jackson together is like pretty devastating. Yeah, but are are you worried about impacting the development of Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson? Like I, I know that we sort of think of Anthony Davis now as like a a side, like a complimentary piece, but he is still when healthy at least a top 10 player in the NBA, if not a top five. Like, so, like, he's the type of guy who wants the ball in his hands a lot, and he is, like, the best player on your team, 
type of player. So do you think that that would bother John Morant to not be the best player on the Grizzlies anymore just after he's had this amazing season? It's hard. And, you know, it's hard because you don't want to touch what the Grizzlies have going right now. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm thinking. But it does feel a bit like they, like, you know, it would be surprising, I think, if they were as good next year as they are this year with no changes to their roster, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I yeah, mean, it I is think, tempting um, when you're a piece like when you're a team like the Memphis Grizzlies to add a piece like Anthony Davis, and then that makes you a real true championship contender. So, yeah, and it's hard because it's hard to put a, a gauge on how valuable Davis is at this point and how much he'd fetch in a trade. But yeah, in that situation, I think I think what's great about Anthony Davis is he can be ball dominant for sure, but I think he also likes having a ball handler to play with. Like we saw how well he and LeBron worked together as sort of like a one-two punch. And even, you know, even in games when Anthony Davis is scoring more than LeBron James, he's still the secondary player, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. And so you you know, you have the you have the uh jaw davis pick and roll things like that and so that that's a threat there um griffin we are well over time here so i will give you a couple of quick lebron james trades i think this one's my favorite the philadelphia 76ers sending tobias harris shake milton paul reed and a future first for lebron and austin reeves taking on that tobias harris contract which is not super appealing but you're getting a couple of young guys, you're getting a first round pick back and then uh, you know a solid player in Tobias Harris and then you have that the big 3 in Philadelphia. What yeah, do you think that, about that for Philly? That would be pretty crazy for LeBron and James Harden to team up. LeBron James Harden if you will. Uh <laughs> sure. And I think that's just I mean any trade if you trade Anthony Davis, I think you're still trying to win now for the Lakers, but a trade of LeBron James I don't know, that seems like rebuild time to me. So I think that that's a good sort of rebuild time for the Lakers. Uh, I do like that one a lot. And I don't I don't know how LeBron and Harden would get along with Joel Embiid there as well. That would be a crazy yeah. <laughs> interesting fit. And like you, you wouldn't be able to tear your eyes off of that team. And James Harden obviously is pretty, pretty volatile these days. Uh, so yeah. that would be fascinating. Yeah, I do partly like it for the entertainment value. I think that it's it's the kind of trade that teams make nowadays. Like we saw the Harden Simmons swap. Like we see crazy trades like this nowadays in the NBA. And I do think that this is a trade that the Sixers would make. Uh, one more Griffin. This is a bit of a not quite as interesting, but I think the fit is very interesting. The Dallas Mavericks sending Spencer Dinwiddie, Davis Bertans, the players they got in that Porzingis trade. Dwight Powell as well, and then two future first rounders for LeBron James and Austin Reeves. You know, I, I like throwing Austin Reeves in there as just a yeah, throw you in. Do. <laughs> <laughs> but Luca and LeBron Griffin, what do you think about that prospect? Wow, that would be crazy. Like, do you think one of them would just wind up being like Kevin Love on the Cavs and just like stand in the corner and shoot threes? <laughs> like, you hope not, but I mean, that would be wild. That would be another just like NBA fan in the lab, which I guess is exactly what this segment was just cooking <laughs> yeah. up mad scientist uh lineup combinations so yeah it'd be pretty crazy for jason kidd to try and handle that but that would be fascinating uh, i'd take yeah, it though I if think... i was dallas i'd take that yeah because i you know i think that there are a lot of teams right now who are in the space where they feel like they're one piece away you know it's not i guess you can say that phoenix is sort of that that dominant force in the league right now but there aren't a lot of teams 
that feel like, you know, th- it's not like the Warriors where there's no point in competing if you don't have a roster that's like already pretty much made, right? Yeah, no, for sure. The NBA is wide open right now. I think there's a bunch of bona fide contenders. Yeah, and we'll have to see, obviously, how it shakes out in the playoffs. We will be previewing the playoffs next week, so look out for that. But for now, we are going to take a quick break and come back with some more some more Oscar content, Griffin, on high floor, low ceiling. And welcome back to high floor, low ceiling. I don't even Ooh. know what that was, Griffin. I don't know what that was. I think it sounded almost a bit South African. I think Uh, you might be right, and it might be in relation to the segment that we're doing right now, Griffin. Yes, Chris, but before we get into that segment, I do believe it has been 30 days. The Mm -hmm. page of the calendar has turned. It has. It's another month. I love these updates, and when we were talking about (laughs) this yesterday, you told me that, quote, this one is really weird, which, based (laughs) on the last few, I cannot even imagine what this one will be because the last three have been like so normal (laughs) well i think the thing about the last three is that they contain like even though they are crazy concepts there is a logic to them like you can clearly like february uary it's movies that are released in february i think that makes solid sense whereas this one i don't think it really makes any sense but griffin we have moved past Morch. Uh, Morch was not uh, as busy as you might have expected, but we have moved from Morch into A-Pill. Oh. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, obviously, we, you know, pilling has dominated the cultural conversation in recent memory. Uh, this is not red-pilled movies, per se, but there's a certain, you know, Griffin, my taste in movies is a little, uh, a little off-center, shall we say, a little askew. A little. So I think A-Pill is best described as movies that sort of feed into the unusual aesthetic that uh, that I prize in movies. Or really that, that a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, shout out to Moodles, uh, <laughs> is her nickname. <laughs> I know you weren't expecting that. No, uh, But she, uh, she is sort of the... The patron saint of Apel and is guiding uh, guiding me through this. So I'll give you a sample of a couple of movies that have been watched for Apel already. Uh, the 2009 film Gamer, starring okay. Gerard Butler, where he is mind controlled as a soldier uh, to play in a twisted death game. Nice. All right. Starring, I'm, I'm uh, not going to track that one. <laughs> Logan Lerman. He uh, he is the gamer, the titular gamer. Logan Lerman's been famous since 2009. I know, it's crazy. Um, of course, Michael Bay's The Rock with uh, Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery. They're on The Rock, Alcatraz. Uh, the, the Resident Evil franchise, Griffin, also a an A-pill classic for sure. So, you know, there's some sort of connective tissue here, the sort of uh, what, what people call vulgar auteurism. Uh, these, these filmmakers who are not typically critically respected, who maybe uh, just sort of need a second look. So, so... But, uh, so the theme for April is trashy movies you like. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. But you know, I, I not necessarily just trashy. It's they've been pretty trashy so far, but you know, uh, the work of I guess Brian De Palma is pretty trashy as well. But there, there's some, been some trash for sure. There could be some <laughs> like there, there could be like a pilled like weird foreign movie, like a oh, okay. foreign action movie or something. I guess that's borderline trash as well. But 
it's it's a very nebulous concept certainly yes well i look forward to the update in just a few weeks but for now chris as we mentioned in our intangible segment the oscars did happen recently uh this was Mm -hmm. something that we maybe would have done last week if we had decided that we wanted to record but we didn't so uh we are coming at you here and uh maybe i'll add some music and post but ladies and gentlemen Hello and welcome to the first annual High Floor Low Ceiling uh, Sports Movie Oscars. Thank you all so much for coming out. Uh, It's my honor here to be your host today. We've got a bunch of good categories. We're not just honoring 2021 in sports movies. We are honoring the entire world of sports movies, um, which means next year's uh, sports (laughs) movie Oscars might be a little bit limited, but this year we're really hitting, we're playing the hits. It's possible. It's possible. Griffin, I will say, just because I didn't see it uh, on your list here, I just yesterday, not even realizing, I forgot that we were doing this segment, and I forgot that opening day was today, but I watched the film Bull Durham, starring oh. Kevin Costner. I like that, that is film. is a, a, a terrific film in my mind. Love Susan Sarandon. She gives a great performance in that. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there as an additional recommendation in addition to these great nominees that you have compiled for us i will give you a little hint behind the scenes chris uh bull durham was nominated for best drama before it was replaced with the other kevin costner baseball movie i went back and forth on those bull durham a great great film really like that but i guess yeah we'll get into our awards here chris you and i are the academy we are going to be casting mm-hmm. our votes to give out these high floor low ceiling sports movie oscars and the oscars save best picture for last i think we have more interesting categories than best picture so i'm getting those out of the way first here mm-hmm. and we are going to start uh with best comedy uh best sports movie comedy and your nominees are Caddyshack, Slapshot, Major League, The Bad News Bears, and Bend It Like Beckham. Chris, first of all, how do you think the Academy did on selecting these nominees? I think these are, this is a really, this is a great slate of nominees. I think these are some beloved films, certainly. I assume we're talking about the original Bad News Bears, not the Billy Bob Thornton remake. Yes, Walter Matthau. It's an Austin Powers (laughs) reference. Not nominated this year for the sports movie Oscars, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, what I will say, Griffin, is that I have not seen any of these movies. You're uh, 0 for 5? I technically have seen Caddyshack. It was probably 10 years ago. I owned it on DVD, picked it up on a lark from HMV. Did not find it very funny at all, I will say. So maybe oh. I need to reevaluate now that I'm older and wiser. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I would say that in my current... Uh, in my pilled form, as you might say, <laughs> uh, referencing Apel, I have not seen any of these films in, in the way that they were meant to be seen. But I am very interested in Bend It Like Beckham. I think that looks like a very fun movie. Yeah, I think you would like Bend It Like Beckham a lot. Uh, but I guess I will choose a winner then. Mm-hmm. And I certainly, I watched uh, Major League a few years ago, thought that was quite funny. Uh, and also like got me fired up Like when Charlie Sheen comes in to Wild Things. There's another like, great movie, Fired Up. Oh, I don't know. That one. <laughs> it's, um, a, it's a cheerleading movie. I thought so, that yeah, was Bring It On. Bring It On is also a cheerleading movie. Okay, there's it's a whole subgenre. Fired Up uh, is about two guys that go to cheerleading camp to meet women, but you'll be surprised, Griffin. I think they might actually have a knack for this thing. What? Well, that's <laughs> know, a twist. Crazy. I certainly it's crazy to consider. Coming. Anyway, I guess it's on me just to declare a winner then, and uh, with mm-hmm. an honorable mention to our four losers, I'm going to choose the original Bad News Bears. 
wow. as the first ever winner of the uh, of a high floor low ceiling sports movie Oscar. And with that, we will move on to best drama. We are doing this Glo- Golden Globes style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a void there now that the Golden Globes don't really Absolutely. exist anymore. Uh, our academy is more diverse than the Hollywood Foreign <laughs> Press Association. Our sure. academy of two. Um, so your nominees for best drama are Moneyball, Rocky, A League of Their Own, Field of Dreams. You can put Field of Dreams slash Bull Durham if you'd really like. Sure, sure, sure. And Invictus. Yes, Griffin. We should know you famously love Invictus. I do. It's one of of my favorite favorite movies movies all time. Yeah, not even sports movies. And you know, I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it's a fine film. I will say this is a great slate. I don't think there are any losers here. Thank you. Uh, I have to go with one of my favorite films of all time. I think I have mentioned it as one of my favorites of all time. Moneyball. Love that Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Love that Jonah Hill performance. Love the Brad Pitt performance. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, RIP, one of the greats of our generation. There's really, you can't lose with that one. And I think I I would also nominate Moneyball in a different category, which is coming up later, which uh, which you have not mentioned it in. But yeah, that is, uh, that's one of my all-time faves. So I have to go with Moneyball. Although, like I said, truly... I haven't seen Invictus, but four f- movies I fully love. All right. Well, I can't, we'll have to watch Invictus together sometime. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, this is just, uh, I mean, I would say objectively, if you're picking a best film out of these five, uh, Moneyball or Rocky is probably the pick. That original Rocky did actually win Best Picture at mm-hmm. the Real Academy Awards. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm going with a bit of a... Uh, choice that just a movie I really really loved not Invictus because uh, that would be too on the nose so too I'm going to choose A League of Their Own as my mm-hmm. winner for best drama I love this movie I think it's so well done it tells a great story Gina Davis is amazing Tom Hanks is great Madonna I think not that bad in this movie I know that she got Absolutely. some flack uh, but I love A League of Their Own so I'm picking I think their team is the Rockford Peaches I'm, that's right I'm going to be an honorary rockford peach pick a league of their own <laughs> sure yeah i mean i think uh, i think league of their own and bull durham are quite similar in terms of the tone and the way that you know it's it's less about the it is about the sports to some degree but it's really about the characters you meet all kinds of colorful characters all kinds of you know funny people so uh like you said a great cast in that film rosie o'donnell as well you didn't mention yeah she's um, great just a just a great film and so i think that that is absolutely a good choice griffin thank you yeah yeah and i think that really that says a lot about the best sports movies are not they're about sports but they're not really about the sports that's so sports true. except i think i do think moneyball like yeah moneyball is, is about baseball <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like a really good movie about baseball um all right so we're gonna move on chris to our best actor category i combined lead and supporting actor uh we've got five nominees here uh and Starting off with they're coming hot off a win, or at least a tie in Best Drama. Uh, Tom Hanks for A League of Their Own. Brad Pitt for Moneyball. Uh, Also nominated, we have Kurt Russell for Miracle. Mm -hmm. Robert De Niro for Raging Bull, which if I was objective would probably be nominated for Best Drama over Invictus, but I am not. Sure, sure, sure. And somewhat controversially, Chris, (laughs) Will Smith for King Richard. Or Ali. You could put King Smith or Will Smith for King Richard <laughs> slash Ali on the table. Uh, Chris, who are you picking for our best actor winner? The cat is really ratcheting up the volume. I'm not sure if you can hear that. Um, well, yeah. Well, 
our viewers understand. They love cats. Yes. Um, Griffin, De Niro and Raging Bull, I think that's a great performance. I do think De Niro has been better. So if we're sort of working on the Oscar logic of like, we want to hand these out to the right movies and Robert De Niro's not winning like 10 Oscars, I'm not going to hand him the Oscar for Raging Bull. You know, some great performances here. I think I probably like the Brad Pitt performance the best, but I'm going to shift the paradigm a little oh. and say that in terms of a, a classic sports movie performance, I think you can look no further than Kurt Russell in Miracle as, you know, the the tough love, the motivation. He really gets you fired up. You know, we, we're, we're going to talk about a uh, another category in which he might feature as well. But he uh, he is terrific in that movie, and you know, full full of the kind of inspirational, move you to tears bravado that uh, that that a sports movie can give you. So I think he is my my pick. That's a great point, Chris. We are not picking the Oscars here. We are picking the best mm-hmm. sports movie Oscars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am actually going to make that unanimous. I am also going to vote for Kurt Russell's performance in Miracle as best actor in a sports movie. So congratulations to Mr. Russell. Uh, please feel free to come by the studio to accept your award. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will now go on to Best Actress. A, unfortunately, due to the uh, nature of sports movies and sports in general, I had to dig a little deeper, but I still think we found so five really good nominees here. Uh, and your nominees are Margot Robbie for I, Tonya, Gina Davis, the aforementioned brilliant Gina Davis for A League of Their Own, Hilary Swank for her role in Million Dollar Baby. Kira Knightley in Bend It Like Beckham. Uh, more of a rom-com role than a sports movie role, but she's great in that movie. And Emma Stone as Billie Jean King in Battle of the Sexes. Yeah, I mean, Griffin, even though you did have to dig deep, I think you came up with five great performances here. Obviously, uh, Marco Robbie's performance, I think, is a little polarizing. Some people really dislike that movie. I know people who absolutely love that movie and love that performance. Certainly a... A very committed and very realized performance. But I think, Griffin, I just have to go with my bias here. Gina Davis is maybe my favorite actress or top. I, let me get out my spreadsheet because I do have <laughs> a list of my favorite actresses. And I think she is certainly in the top three at minimum. And so. Really? And yeah. So, oh yeah. Here's, so I'll give you the, I'll give you the top 10 really quick. Please. And yes. This is not comprehensive. So this might change in the future, but. My top 10 favorite actresses, Jodie Foster, Holly Hunter, Gina Davis, Amy Adams, Julia Roberts, Drew Barrymore, Florence Pugh, Carrie Coon, Saoirse Ronan, Laura Dern. That's 10 a quick, amazing uh, actors. Quick lineup of my my preferences. And I also just found out that Gina Davis, did you know that she's really tall? Uh, she's well, like I've six s- feet tall. I've seen A League of Their Own and she's taller than everyone else in that movie. Gina uh, <laughs> Davis. Oh. Uh, so yes, I I love Gina Davis. I you know if I were giving out Oscars, I would give her Best Supporting Actress for The Fly, uh, <laughs> a retroactive <laughs> but, Oscar. Yeah, I'd hand out a retroactive Oscar, but certainly a lovely performance in a League of Their Own. One of the most underrated actresses of our time, in my opinion. So I can't not hand out the Oscar to Gina Davis. Yeah, I mean that League of Their Own performance, I think, is one of the all-time great iconic sports movie roles and sports movie performances by her she's so good in that movie uh, just for the sake of parody chris i'm going to give it to a movie that i didn't think got the buzz that it deserved when it came out and a performance that i really mm-hmm. liked so i'm going to give it to emma stone for her role as billy jean king in battle of the sexes mm-hmm. uh that sort of story of her founding the women's tennis association and doing her famous battle of the sexes match against uh 
Bobby Riggs, played by Steve Carell, who's also brilliant in that movie. I really liked that movie, and I didn't remember hearing a lot about it when it came out, so I'm going to give a shout Emma Stone's way, a phenomenal actress in her own right, I think. Yeah, I think it, did it end up going to HBO, maybe, and that's why it sort of Oh, was it not like a full theater? It it was a Fox Searchlight release, and it was a a box office bomb, uh, despite some positive reception. I have not seen the film, but it has been one that's definitely on my list and i think that that is a a more than deserving uh win for emma stone griffin thank you well chris we only have three categories left here so uh the next one the next two categories i sort of treated as the academy treats screenplays there were so many Ah. good ones that i want to split them up into two categories so uh i guess we'll call this our best adapted screenplay category this is best in-game scene so this is a scene that takes place on the field of play in the sports movie this is the moment it could be a great goal or a whole game uh these are our best in-game scene and your nominees are from rocky one the final fight of rocky balboa versus apollo creed uh the world cup final in invictus a great uh sequence there (laughs) directed by clint eastwood the final race from chariots of fire the 400 meter race Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Hatterberg's home run to clinch the 20-game win streak in Moneyball, and of course the famous crane kick moment from The Karate Kid, a, mo- a movie that we have not mentioned as of yet. Mm-hmm. Griffin, I I love, I will say, the thought you've put into these. I love your nominees. I love that you are pulling from some movies that we haven't heard yet from yet in Chariots of Fire and The Karate Kid. I think you have some great choices here, which is why... I regret to uh, return to the well here, but I will read you from November 12th, 2020 from my five-star letterboxed review of Moneyball. I've seen this movie conservatively 10 times and I cry literally every time he hits the home run. That (laughs) is, I do now that you've read that, sorry to cut you off. I remember reading that on your letterbox, but that was almost the exact same way I was going to phrase my justification for my vote in this category, but please continue. Well, no, I just, I think that really says it all. Like, it's the whole sequence, I think, is so wonderfully done the way, you know, that it's cross-cutting with him sort of driving back to the stadium. And it's like, it's just the, the culmination of all, all everything that Billy Bean and the team has worked so hard for. And I love the way it's shot. I think that's a beautiful looking film. And that scene in particular, I think, looks terrific. And so... I can't not give it to that. Even if I'm trying to spread the love, I can't ignore that that is my number one. I'm I'm feeling the exact same way. Uh, the crane kick from the Karate Kid, I think, mm-hmm. is a really great moment. Uh, and, of course, the Rocky Balboa. The Balboa-Creed fight is one of the greatest scenes ever. But, um, yeah, that moment when Scott Hatterberg hits that home run, it's such a perfect encapsulation of what the team was about which is funny the team in the movie i should say because in real life the team like had like three cy young candidates and the mvp i think and like none of them are even really mentioned in the movie but the 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 version of the 2001 oakland or the 2002 oakland days that the movie presents us with scott hatterberg is the perfect one to hit that home run and it's just it's such an incredible moment and it's sort of a challenging way to make that movie because that team didn't win the world series they lost in the first round so to focus Mm -hmm. on that 20 game win streak really, I think, makes that a special moment. So I, we're going to make that our second unanimous uh, high-floor, low-ceiling sports movie Oscar. Mm-hmm. 
so it's, a, it's a long title. Um, and Chris, we're going to get down here to, th- I think this is our version of best picture for the high floor, low ceiling sports movie. I think that's true. This is best, best out of game scene, which you could basically rename as best speech. This one, I went with 10 nominees over the normal five. Cause I mean, if there's one thing people identify with sports movies, it's the speech, right? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. The inspirational moment, you know, we talked about Kurt Russell, uh, his motivational speech energy that he gives he is you know he is nominated here and i think that that is sort of the energy that we want to be channeling here is just that that rousing emotional yet fired up feeling that sports movies create in us i couldn't agree more all right so chris your 10 nominees for the best out of game scene aka best speech the closing speech how can you not be romantic about baseball from Moneyball, performed by Jonah Hill. It's Not About Winning, from Friday Night Lights, performed by Billy Bob Thornton. Tonight, We Are the Greatest Hockey Team in the World, speech from Miracle, performed by Kurt Russell. The Listen to Your Country moment, from Invictus, performed by Matt Damon. That one's a little cheeky because it happens within the World Cup final, which was nominated mm-hmm. for Best In-Game Scene. Wow. Uh, but it's during like a break in the game. And a lot of these are like halftime speeches. Um, The Gettysburg speech from the Remember the Titans performed by Denzel Washington. Uh, One of the all-time most famous lines, There's no crying in baseball from A League of Their Own as performed by Tom Hanks. People Will Come from Field of Dreams as performed by James Earl Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Show Me the Money scene from Jerry Maguire as performed by Cuba Gooding Jr. Pardon me, I was looking at James Earl Jones while I tried to read. Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, the I'm Proud of You speech from Coach Carter, as performed by Samuel L. Jackson. And the I Look Around at the People Around Me speech from Any Given Sunday, as performed by Al Pacino. First of all, holy crap, the 10, unfortunately, all men actors on this list. Sure, there sure. is so much acting talent on this list. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think several Oscars, tons of nominations, at the very least, between all these guys. Um, some great choices, Griffin. I would I would add a couple. I will say yes, I'm, please do. I'm thrilled you mentioned Jerry Maguire because that's one of my absolute favorites. But the thing about Jerry Maguire is I don't think it's a sports movie. It's not really well, that's about controversial. sports in the same way that you know a Field of Dreams or a League of Their Own or an Any Given Sunday is. And so I think I think the best you know obviously the most one of the most memorable lines in that movie is that you had me at hello uh, and i think that would probably be my pick for like my favorite scene from that movie well yeah i and, almost included that but then i thought okay that's really got nothing to do with sports. yeah it's like at least the show me the money one is still kind of related to sports show. yeah the, exactly you had me at hello is definitely the better scene yeah and you know like i said i love that movie and so i think uh, i think it just has to be it's not a sports movie is really how i feel about it um Very i will fair. also mention from moneyball the initial sort of finding the value scene where oh, Jonah Hill's so talking good. about Chad Bradford and, you know, that he's worth this and we can get him for this. And, you know, the, the, I love the way it's edited the, with all the like the spreadsheets and the dollar signs and all these figures flashing before your eyes. and You're sort of becoming overwhelmed by all that. So I love that moment as well. But I think I have to give the win here to a movie I have not seen, but I have seen the speech. Uh, the... Al Pacino, any given Sunday speech, uh, you know, the I look around or the uh, game of inches speech, you might also call it. I think that that one, it's just, it's 
really well written. It's a classic, very, very classic sports movie scene where it's all about firing a team up to win. It's it's about winning the game, but it's also about your life. And it's about, you know, it's it's all these little things and it sort of is motivating you to, to go for the gusto. And, you know, Al Pacino, one of our great actors, a great performance in that, in that scene at least. <laughs> I haven't seen the film, yeah. but... Uh, I think that that's what I have to go with for for the best speech because I do think that he, you know, if if I was picking uh, a speech that was going to make me want to run through a wall after I listened to it, it would be that one. You know, Chris, I am I am in the same boat as you where I've uh, seen that scene but not that movie. I do sort of dock points for it being four and a half minutes long, like most of these other speeches sure. are around two minutes. That to me is a little excessive, uh, and it's tough looking at this list, like. Um, God, I love the people will come uh, mm-hmm. scene from Field of Dreams where James Earl Jones. I love the way he says baseball. Go listen to it after you listen to this. He says like yeah, baseball. Huge... He puts a huge emphasis on the second <laughs> B, which is hilarious to me. It's um, it's a huge it's a huge plus to have James Earl Jones delivering the speech. Certainly, for sure. Yeah, and uh, the it's not about winning speech from Friday Night Lights. Billy Bob kills that. One of the best working actors. Uh, but instead, I'm going to violate Tom Hanks' rule and say that the second moment in a Moneyball that makes me cry is when Jonah Hill is giving his talk about how can you not be romantic about baseball. Uh, just seeing that that catcher who hit a home run without even knowing it. It's a little on the nose, I will admit. But they also say that in the movie, which is a fun little twist. Exactly, yeah, that's Sorkin. That's Sorkin. That um, is Sorkin. But yeah, so I'm going to uh, give that my vote. Moneyball, I think, sort of the dune of our Sports Academy Awards. Sweeping I think. the technical awards. Yes, won a lot of, uh, probably the overwhelming winner tonight. And of course, our last category, Chris, best soundtrack. And apparently the Academy <laughs> only nominated one movie for this uh, category. The uh-huh. only nominee in best soundtrack is Invictus. So the Oscar goes to Invictus. Congratulations to Invictus. This is uh, also... a, a beautiful soundtrack with the African music. And uh, there's an original song in there called, I believe it's called 9,000 Days, about uh, the time that Nelson Mandela spent in prison. Just oh, such a good example of a sports movie being about so much more than sports, but it's also about why sports matter so much. Nelson Mandela, mm. one of the greatest humans to ever live, knew how much sports mattered. And as a massive sports fan, it's so important to me. Oh, Chris, it's such a good movie. I will have to watch it, Griffin. I, I was going to say, this is where I would throw in Moneyball as well. The sort of post-rock score I think is really cool. The, it's called like the, the Rio the something Rio Grande, I think, is the name of the sort of the song that recurs as a motif throughout doom, the movie. Doom. Yeah. <laughs> when you, you said that, clearly in your head. Moneyball was snubbed. I was going through the categories. I was like, I'm pretty sure I put Moneyball in every category. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, best soundtrack. Moneyball, more than a worthy inclusion there. It's got a great, great soundtrack. But unfortunately, only one movie yeah, was, nominated was not nominated by the Academy. Yeah. So maybe a bit of a... a uh, nomination snub but the award i think is overwhelming mm-hmm. in its a uh, unanimous vote for invictus so congratulations Absolutely. to invictus a winner of a uh, high floor low ceiling sports and congratulations sports to all the all the winners and all the nominees yes you uh, it all was a wonderful you all, you're all winners in our hearts yes <laughs> and but it was like billy bob said Griffin. it's not about winning it's about being your wow. best self and all of these movies that's, were their best selves that's so true and i thank you for uh, for compiling that for us griffin 
that is going to bring us to the end of a, you know, we didn't go last week, and so we gave you a jumbo-sized episode this week. So enjoy that. Um, you can follow us on social media at HFLC Podcast on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Hit all those up. Yes, you Chris, I do have to own up. Those, uh, those channels, those Instagram and TikTok, sort of my responsibility, and I've been slacking on those well, lately. Come on, uh, I've been busy. I've been working a couple different jobs. So my apologies to the people. I am going to be trying to improve our production there. So please do. If you haven't followed us on Instagram, on TikTok yet, you haven't missed a lot in a couple of weeks. I know that last week when we tweeted out uh, that we were going to be taking a week off, I said in the tweet, I was like, but stay tuned. We're going to be giving you some social content. And then I didn't. So my apologies about that. But uh, it's coming. It's coming for sure. I'm going to get back on it. So please give us a follow at HFLC podcast. Yeah, that's going to be, there's some great stuff there. And, you know, we, we appreciate all you do for the podcast, Griffin, certainly. Uh, <laughs> you can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. You can follow myself at C House and Jan. Uh, Griffin, you can listen to his wonderful OUA in Conversation podcast. I believe you have a, uh, a basketball-themed podcast coming about. Is that correct, or is it out? Yeah, no, it's not out yet, but coming up soon, uh, I'm going to be... That's the reason I went to Kingston this weekend to cover that tournament was for that podcast. So I got to talk to a ton of great players, a ton of great coaches, some fans, got to talk to a little bit of everyone. So it'll really, I hope, be a good way uh, to give you that full tournament experience if you weren't able to be there in Kingston this weekend. So please check that out. Yeah, that's going to be a great episode. Um, You can listen to my other podcasts. You've got Got the Runs, the comics podcast. You can follow us at Got the Runs Pod and Griffin. I teased it earlier, but it is now out for real as of today, as the time we're recording this. Uh, Bevy of Bevies, Griffin, the podcast about consumable liquids uh, with myself and Colin Ashley. Uh, I think we will hopefully have him on the show sometime soon to, uh, yes. to talk some beverages with us. I know you have been interested in that one. But yes, uh, I mentioned earlier, but all forms of consumable liquid... Uh, 20-minute episodes, I think, is a huge uh, huge selling point. Not like this one today. Not like this one, no. (laughs) Um, So the first episode is out, which is Arizona Green Tea. We already have some more episodes recorded, and we'll be doing some more shortly. So look out for that. I'm excited. Uh, Bevy of Bevies is is the big... The big. I want to do a big plug for that one today. Yeah, I'm really excited to listen to that podcast. As soon as you told me the concept, uh, I was very... I I know that's going to be great, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so check that out. But that will do it for us today, for Griffin and myself. Until next time, keep your floors high and keep those ceilings blue.